One of my favorite things in high school was being part of the speech and debate team at our school. I, I went to McMinnville High School over in McMinnville, so I was a grizzly, and um, I became a pretty grizzly debater. Um, yeah, it was a pretty bad joke. But that team allowed us to kind of travel to different schools. I don't even know if they still do speech and debate in school, uh, but I loved it. I thought it was great. In, in, right, I, I, did, I like speech. That was fine. Big shocker there. But I really liked the debate part. Because with debate, you're kind of, it's like you're in a courtroom or something. You've got to come up with your, your position, and then someone else has got to counter that, and then you've got to kind of come up with your counter argument to their counter. And so this back and forth sort of battle that happens with ideas. And I'd always loved the, the opportunity to defend my case. In fact, I kind of had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder when I was younger. It even got into Bible college days back when I went to Bible college. But I wasn't always fun to be around because I always felt like I had to win an argument. And I know that that's not always good and that's kind of immature sometimes. But I did like to know what I was talking about and kind of put it out there and win. I like to win an argument. And I think the Lord has worked on me a little bit over the years to kind of take it down a notch that I don't always have to win, right? We know this if you're married, if you've ever been in a relationship, sometimes winning an argument means you lose, right? You can win and lose the relationship. And so I've had to learn that over the years. But, but I will say in the, in the kind of the idea of defending, a few years after I was, you know, into, into high school, around the time that I said yes to Jesus, there were some writers and some speakers and some authors that really helped me make the decision back in the day to say yes to Jesus. These were people that would be called, uh, they, were, they were into what's called apologetics. And what the idea is, there are people that were writing eloquently and, and speaking very articulately about how Christianity, in particular, makes sense. You know, the, these folks would write, and, 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 and I'd go to listen to conferences, and one of those early people for me was a guy named Josh McDowell. And, and he would stand up and basically kind of give kind of the, the thinkers in the group a chance to realize, wow, following Jesus actually makes sense. And so these defenders of the faith, if you will, really helped me say yes to Jesus. They, they helped me kind of cross over to realize, you know, following Jesus sort of makes sense in the world that we see around us. Many, many, many years later, there's going to be this author and writer, a guy named Tim Keller, who will write a book about this idea that Christianity, you know, for, for all that may be kind of confusing to the world, Christianity actually makes sense to what we see in humanity. And so these defenders of the faith really helped bring me over and, and helped me face those things. Def speaking of defense, defense sounds sort of, I don't know, it sounds sort of legal, doesn't it? When I say defense, you think legal. Maybe some of you have had to defend yourself in front of a judge when you got pulled over for maybe going a little bit past the speed limit and you had to kind of give your case about why you did that. Well, I didn't see the, I didn't see the sign or, uh, you know, I was on my way to the hospital. Whatever you might say in those defensive moments, you're trying to defend your case. Maybe some of you, you've had moments where, whether it was a project at work or maybe some homework that you were a little late on, and you had, to, you had to go defend your reasoning to your boss or your teacher as to why you couldn't quite meet the deadline. And for some of you, you may have actually used the dog ate my homework. I don't know if that's still used today. In, uh, you young people have to let me know if that's still a valid excuse 
Of course, online, it's going to be kind of difficult. The dog ate my computer. I don't think that, that works as well in, in our modern world. But having to defend, you know, defend yourself. Well, today, why am I talking about defending? Well, today, we're going to be getting into week two of our Galatians series. And the writer of the, the, the letter that we're studying, Paul, he's going to get a bit defensive because he's being personally uh, affronted by some false teachers in some of the churches that he and his friend Barnabas planted. So he's going to get a little defensive. We're going to hear some passion in his voice and as he's writing this letter, and we're going to see why he's so passionate. So today we're going to continue that series. If you have a Bible or a device, I would encourage you to find the, the book of Galatians. It's actually a letter, but find Galatians in the New Testament part. Today I'm going to read out of my uh, trusty old ESV version up here. So find that, and uh, while you're doing that, let me just say this. We're into this series, and one of the big takeaways from this series is that Paul wants us to understand, just like he wanted those Galatian Christians to understand, that in Christ we are set free to live free. We are set free to live free. And, and when Christ sets us free, he gives us freedom and hope and salvation. And living in Christ means that we are one big, beautiful, multi-ethnic, diverse family of faith, both now and for not yet. And so being in Christ actually frees us from all those social barriers. We're all one at the foot of the cross, and we are one big family of faith. And so Paul's going to make that case as we get through this letter. And today he's going to defend himself. My, my name is Pastor Ben. So glad you've joined us today, whether that be in person here or online. We're glad that you're here today. We know there's folks all over in, in different devices and computers tuning in today, so we're glad that you're here. If you are new with us, we would love to connect with you. We have a connections booth here in the back that you can, you can do that if you're in person with us today. Or if you're online, yeah, jump, jump on the chat feature and, and let us know what's going on. And if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray with you on that too. But we gather just like this, like followers of Jesus have been doing for over 2,000 years. We do it on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus Christ of Nazareth rose from the dead, showed himself to his followers, and changed human history forever. And so we gather like this. This is our regular rhythm. And boy, it's a great rhythm. Even during all this crazy, crazy time we've been in, we try to keep this as our normal pattern, our rhythm, to lift up the name of Jesus together as best we can. And so we're doing that today. So we're glad that you've joined us here, whether it be in person or online. Let's, let's pause for a moment now and pray that God would speak to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you, everyone in this room and online today. We're gathering because we know that your word is powerful. So, Father, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit for everyone here that you challenge us, you change us. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, our ears would hear what you have to say to us, and that, Father, we would be encouraged by faith to go out into the world and show your love to everyone. Father, that we would be a, 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 a group of people that bring grace to everyone we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well... Hopefully you found the book of Galatians by now. Again, we've said before, it's really not a book, it's a letter. It's really a fiery letter written by a man named Paul who was a leader in the early church. And this is around the first century. And, 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 and Paul and his buddy Barnabas, they had been traveling around. This is really early, by the way, in the church. This is, this is probably a, a, maybe a few years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the early church is just like an infant. It's very, very young. And, and Paul and his buddy are out there preaching the good news to places all over the Roman Empire. And, and they preach, 
in, in an area called Galatia, which for us is basically modern-day Turkey. So Paul and his buddy Barnabas, they're planting churches, again, very new. These new Christians are learning what it means to be a Jesus follower in their culture, just like we try to figure out how to follow Jesus in our culture. And, and things are going well, but Paul and Barnabas hear that after they planted all these churches, some other teachers had come in, and they were teaching a very different gospel than the gospel of Jesus. And they were, they were telling all these young Christians no, you, you, you can't just accept Jesus and, and have it as a gift of salvation. You have to have Jesus plus these other things. And so they were, they were infiltrating those early young churches, very vulnerable churches, with this false teaching. And many of them were people who had grew up with the Jewish faith. And the Jewish faith had all kinds of laws. You can read about them in the first five books of the Bible. But the Torah had lots of different laws about Sabbath keeping and food and all these different things. And, and even circumcision, which is this minor male surgery. Anyway, we won't spend a lot of time on that. But all these rules. And they were saying, well, Paul, he didn't really give you the full meal deal. Yes, Jesus, but you've got to add these other things. These teachers were doing it. And they weren't just doing that. They were also saying, you know, Paul, he's not really all that great. In fact, Paul, he probably didn't really have the pedigree that we have. Paul was kind of a lesser apostle. In fact, where did Paul even get his stuff? We don't know. And so they were undermining not only his teaching, but who he was. And so Paul gets very personal, and he gets very, very defensive. This letter is a fiery little piece of literature here, and he's really wanting not only that audience in Galatia and those false teachers to be put in their place, but also to understand what the heart of the gospel is. This gospel that we're in this room because of. He wanted to make sure that early in the church that the right gospel, the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ was the gospel, none other. So Paul is going to get pretty defensive. <laughs> let's pick up where we left off last week. We, we, we read chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, and let's pick up, if you got your device here, let's pick up in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem for the first time to visit Cephas, also known as Peter, and remained with him eh, 15 days. But I saw no one of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, they were only hearing it 
said that he who used to persecute, persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Well, you can't read too far into that before you see that Paul's a little bit agitated here. He's frustrated, he's been undermined, and they're teaching something. In fact, chapter 2 is really all about this, the false teaching that was happening, and even the, the conflict that started to arise in the early church between those who had a Jewish background and those who didn't have a Jewish background. And so there was tension going on. And Paul's saying, look, I didn't receive this gospel secondhand from some Joe Smith on the street. What does he say? How did he say he got the gospel? Directly from Jesus. Directly from him. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed himself directly to Paul. So he didn't get it in a, some secondhand fashion. So these, these false teachers can't use that argument on him. But he, he's trying to kind of give us a little bit of a, his own story, really. I mean, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in fact, if you don't know that story, it's actually in another book of the Bible called Acts. In Acts chapter 9, it kind of gives you more detail. In fact, I encourage you to check out Acts chapter 9. It's a pretty crazy story. But Paul is on his way to kill more Christians, basically. And then Jesus Christ appears to him, kind of wakes him up. And then he joins the Jesus team and becomes a Christian. The very people he was trying just a day or so ago to hurt. And people are hearing about this. The churches are chattering about this. Hey, this, this superstar rabbi wannabe who was of the Jewish faith, now he's actually preaching Jesus. This was kind of this amazing thing. So we get some backstory into, into Paul. And he was saying, look, you know, after I met Jesus, I kind of went away for three years. Now, some would speculate that he got a little Bible college directly with Jesus. Some would make that case. Now, if you think about it, and this is just a weird sort of parallel, Jesus was with his 12 disciples. Do you know how many years? Two, three years maybe, something like that. And then how long was Paul in Arabia having Bible college with Jesus? Isn't that an interesting parallel, right? You may have never thought of that. Actually, we get detail here in Galatians that we didn't know before. We read Acts chapter 9, we don't get some of this backstory. But So he, he's saying, look, I got the revelation directly from Jesus. I spent time with him just like Peter, James, John, and the Twelve. You see what he's doing here? He's saying that, yes, these are the, the super apostles because they were there at the beginning. You know, they were there in the fishing boats. And they spent direct time with Jesus. But now Paul's basically saying, I've done the same thing. Just like the twelve got their, their gospel directly from Jesus himself, I too got it directly. So he's trying to say, look, I, I'm not just you know, somebody that kind of came in willy-nilly. I actually got this from Jesus. So he's saying, I got it directly. And, and look, his whole backstory, I mean, we could spend weeks talking about that. I mean, we won't. You're welcome. But the whole idea of him being on the, J the Jewish team in Judaism is what that means. He was, he was on the Jewish team, and then he changed teams. Now, we look at that, and we think, well, people just go to different churches all the time. That's not what we're talking about. He left a whole religious system after he met Jesus. That is radical. I mean, you think about it, there are some religions out there, and, and, and you probably know maybe some people that are in some different religions or whatever, where it's real strict, and you don't go off to some other church. Or you don't, and you, if you do, you're like ousted from the family. You're ousted from your work. You're ousted, you're out of the, 
out of the team. And so for Paul, to basically he was on his way to becoming a rabbi. For him to switch teams to the Jesus team, we just don't fully understand that, I don't think. And, and, and that's why he says there's all this chatter going on for the different churches because they can't believe that it's Paul who was trying to kill us and now he's for us and he's on the Jesus team. This is radical. Three years after he meets Jesus, he's traveling back to Jerusalem, basically the hub, right? I mean, Jerusalem was where the temple was. This is kind of like ground zero at the early days of the church. And that's where Peter and kind of the, the big name apostles are. And so he comes back and he says, I didn't even spend that much time there. What do you say, about a couple weeks, 15 days, something like that? That's not near enough time to develop a whole, you know, plan. It wasn't hardly any time at all. So he was, he was back there a couple, a couple weeks maybe. And then he left them. And just started going around the, the Roman Empire saying, hey, let me tell you this cool story about Jesus and how radical Jesus was. And so he's telling the story in all these places. Uh, so he, two weeks with them, and then he's out planting churches and telling the story. Now, as we get into chapter 2, and we didn't read it, but if you carry on a little bit, I encourage you to read chapter 2. Because then he'll say after 14 years, like 14 years later after that little mini trip to Jerusalem, then he goes back. But this time when he goes back, now the early church is embroiled in something that they were going to have to fight through for years. He comes back to Jerusalem 14 years later. Here's Paul. He's got quite a street, a street cred now. He's been planting churches everywhere. And he comes back and he finds himself in this conflict between people who say yes to Jesus but have a Jewish background and people who said yes to Jesus but do not have a Jewish background. And so there's kind of this religious holdover fight that's occurring. Do you understand what I mean? So you have maybe some of the, the say, so say you're in church, right? Like maybe like now, some of you that are in person, and you look across the way and you say, well, that person, he's, he's not obeying the, the Torah laws. I saw him eat bacon the other day. And so you begin to look down on them, right? Or, or let's take it another notch. I mean, really, the Hebrew people were a race of people. So now it's almost racial where they're looking across the aisle and saying, well, they're not my race, so I might not. This was happening, and Paul found himself in this conflict, and something had to be done. He comes back, and they're arguing about, should you, to, to be a good Christian, do you have to be a little more Jewish? Basically is what they're saying. To be a good Christian, you have to have some more Jewish-type stuff in your life, and then Jesus will really accept you. This is the conflict that was happening. And Paul got, got right in the middle of it, and he starts making the case that we are not justified by any works of the law, and we're not justified by how much goody-two-shoes we do as a humanitarian. Those are good things, but that's not what earned God's favor. God already favors you. That's the heart of the gospel. God already loves you. And so by faith, you get the gift of salvation, not because you have a Jewish background or you don't have a Jewish background. You see what I'm getting at? Paul is making this very clear here in the early stages of the church. He did not want this to go sideways. If this thing goes sideways, none of us are going to be in this room. He made sure to understand that salvation comes by faith, not because of how great you are or how good of a lawkeeper you are. He gets pretty, pretty adamant here. He's pretty passionate about it. You can understand. But I love that. Let's get into a little bit of chapter 2. Let's look at verse 20 and 21 of chapter 2. And again, Paul's making this case that righteousness comes by faith, not because of how great you are. 
Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? This means nothing. The horrible death that he paid for our sins on, this means nothing if we're just pretty good and we can do it on our own with, with following some law. It's, it can't, you can't have both. You can't have a little bit of following the law, just enough to carry you over. God already loves you. It's because of the cross that we have the gift of salvation, not by any other means. And Paul will say, look, if you could do it through the law, which you can't, if you could do it, then, then we didn't need that death. Paul's pretty, pretty adamant here to be clear about what the actual gospel is. And I get it. I mean, one of the reasons Paul might feel like he needed to defend himself is I'm guessing even several years after he was a Christian, I would guess that people were still skeptical. I mean, he did, he did like kill Christians before, and now he's saying, well, no, now I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, people might have, even in the early church days, they might have felt like, I don't know, you know, is he going to turn on us again? You know, is he going to give us a hug? And he's like, I'm gotcha. Now I'm going to take you back to Jerusalem. People might have been a little skeptical at first. So I get it. Paul's trying to defend himself a little bit and say, look, I'm squarely on this team. Here's how it happened. Eventually, the early church did give him a right hand of fellowship. But here's what's ironic. They give him the right hand of fellowship, but they say, you know what, Paul, we want you to go <laughs> out of Jerusalem. We want you to go plant churches among those Gentiles, you know, those non-Jewish people. So there's still this tension, I think, but it's ironic that they send Paul to do that. If I were the one, I would have sent Peter, right? Peter was the blue-collar dude, fisherman. You ever heard like the, the, the term cussing like a sailor? I feel like Peter would have been probably maybe the best suit to go out and talk to these, you know, hardened Roman folks and tell them about Jesus. Not the guy who was going to be a rabbi. Don't you find that ironic? That instead of Peter, who maybe would have, I, I, I just get that he's a little brash. Maybe, a, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man's man. You know, I thought that's who you would send out to Athens and Rome, whatever. But they chose it. God, in his wisdom, his economy is so different than ours. He chooses an up-and-coming rabbi to spend his life among those who were not Jewish. And Paul will be adamant, not just in this letter, but all of his writings. Salvation, does, it only comes by faith. Of all the people that God could have used to give that message out, he chooses an up-and-coming who, who was an up-and-coming rabbi, who knew very well the law. He grew up with it. He like lived, eat, breathe the law. And how ironic. God does that sometimes, doesn't he? doesn't he? Doesn't he choose sometimes the person we wouldn't think he would choose and do great things? God is all about that. If you're feeling like maybe you don't got that, maybe you don't have enough stuff, you do. You are, you are part of the family. And Jesus has great things for you, even if you don't feel like you're, you're worthy of that. Paul was chosen to go reach the non-Jewish people. People that when he was growing up, he couldn't even have a dinner party with. Isn't it ironic that that's the guy who God says, yep, I want you to go preach to the Gentiles. 
What, a, what an amazing story. And Paul, Paul gets so defensive because he wants us to understand this is so crucial to understanding the whole, the whole Jesus story is it's not what you did, it's what he did. Salvation is only available by faith, which seems so scandalous because we as humans, we don't like that. We want to say, yeah, that sounds pretty good theoretically, but I'm going to do some good stuff just to kind of get me in the, the, the door a little bit better. I'm going to do a few things there. I'm better than the next person. We start to play this game, and we think that somehow we just got to be a little bit better than the person next to you in, in, in your aisle or online. No, salvation only comes by faith. And Paul wanted to make sure, and he's going to be defensive about it to the end, that salvation is only through faith in Jesus, not Jesus plus some Jewish laws, not Jesus plus you can't watch R-rated movies. Not Jesus plus you fill in the blank. You see, I think we still do it. Because it's scandalous, isn't it? How could it be that easy? How could faith be what saves us? It can't be that. We've got to do something else. We've got we to we vote a certain way and act a certain way and dress a certain way. None of that matters. That's the scandal of grace. It's by faith in Jesus. And we want to muck that up all the time. Just like they were in the first century with these false teachers going through these early churches and saying, no, it's Jesus plus something else. And there will always be a plus something, won't there? Different eras, different times, there's always Jesus plus some other thing. Nope. Salvation only comes by faith in Jesus. And Paul wanted to make sure that we understood that. That we understood it. It's only, and I, I get that. Sometimes people think, well, that's too elementary. That's Sunday school stuff. I learned that when I was a little kid. No, if you're 20, you're 30, you're 70, you need to hear that every day. It's not about you. It's about how great God is. And his love for us is so crazy awesome. That is the scandal of grace. Look, that's the unique thing that Christianity brings to the world of religion and all the noise. It's grace. And it's, it's challenging for us in this room. I mean, think about that story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. It's one of those stories that gets me every time I read it. And it's really about the father's love, not really about the kids anyway. But what happens in that story is the father gives the kid who screwed up everything and basically flipped his nose at dad Dad welcomes him back with arms full of grace, and the kid can't even get his rehearsed speech out before he's hugged by his dad. But, you know, too often we're like the brother, the older brother, who said, you can't forgive him. He's not worth it. I fear that sometimes we fall into that older brother trap where we think, no, 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 that grace is too easy. you got to make him pay a little bit. That's how our world likes to work. Grace is scandalous, isn't it? And that's the heart of the gospel. And Paul said, look, this is you, if you miss that, you miss everything. Because if you're going to try to say Jesus plus a few laws here and there, first of all, you can't do it anyway. Good luck. But if you do, you'll, you, that's not how it happens. You're trying to earn God's favor, and the scandal of grace is he already favors you. Wow, isn't that powerful? Maybe you've never heard that before, but that just gets me going. Paul wanted to make sure. That, yes, he's got a little attitude. Some theologians will say that maybe Paul had a bit of an attitude. I don't know. Maybe sometimes we need to be challenged. Maybe sometimes we need to have our toes stepped on. 
Maybe sometimes we need to be offended to wake up. That is the grace. That's the heart of the gospel. Not anything that we would try to earn or try to add to Jesus. It never works and it won't work. Salvation is by faith alone. Let's, let's go to that verse 16 in chapter 2. If you still got your Bible or device open. I want to read this verse from the New Living Translation. It says this. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. See, Peter and Paul are going to have it out for a while. This conflict kind of lingers in the early church for a bit. And it's going to happen for another decade or so, maybe even longer. And what happens is Peter and Paul kind of have to work it out. Because what happens is over and over again, Peter will say, look, uh, you know, I've got my Jewish friends here, so I'm going to eat with them, and I'm not going to eat with these uh, non-Jewish people. I don't want to, you know, cause a rift or anything, and I don't want to offend anybody. Peter kind of plays that little placating role for a while, and Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. Peter, salvation is by grace through faith alone. That's it. No other way you're going to do it. And so you separating yourself out and, and like favoring your Jewish folks, that can't happen anymore because in Christ, the social barriers have been dropped and we're all one at the foot of the cross. This, this conflict, and you'll see it. If you read, read the New Testament, you'll find it over and over again. And, and eventually they kind of work it out. In fact, down the road, one of the last things that Peter writes about Paul is, just, well, his theology is pretty hard to read sometimes, but he's a pretty good guy. Eventually, they'll be okay. It'll be all right. You know, conflict sometimes is important because it helps us work out what's really true. And so Peter and Paul, they do, they do finally get there. But salvation is by faith alone. There's no other way. And Paul had to defend that, but he's defending the right thing. Sometimes we have to defend the right thing. And it was so crucial at those early stages of the church for Paul to defend what is the real, what really saves you is not anything you do. It's the free gift of God. That's grace. It's only through faith. So here's my only point today. Faith is personal because it's founded in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is personal because it's founded in the person of Jesus Christ and in no other place. I realize that some of you feel like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than the person next to me. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I, you know, God's pretty lucky to have me on his team. You didn't earn his favor, folks. He already favored you. He loved you. Now, he's got good work he wants you to do, but that's not what saves you. And Paul's trying to get that hammered into our heads just like he was trying to hammer it into those early, early followers of Jesus. It's no, in no, salvation is found in no other name. It's only by grace through faith. Faith is personal because it's founded in the person and work of Jesus. We've got to be reminded of this every day. Every day, whether you're 20, you're 10, you're 70. Look, tomorrow morning... Get your coffee. If, if you don't do coffee, get your Diet Coke, weirdo, or, um, or your tea. <laughs> and, and thank God for the free gift of salvation. That is a gift we got to remember every day to be so thankful for. And say, Lord, it's not about me. In fact, I tell you, one of my favorite prayers to kind of center me when I spend my time with the Lord is this very simple prayer, and maybe it'll become your prayer. It's called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That may need to be your, your prayer of centering because we come back to the foot of the cross and at the cross, we are all one beautiful people. Red, yellow, black, and white, doesn't matter. We are a multi-ethnic, multi-tribe family of Jesus. We are, we are one in him. We are beautiful. And the cross did that all for us. We no longer have social barriers. We don't need to be racist. We don't need to be any Prejudice has no place at the foot of the cross. 
We got, none of us got nothing. I mean, that, that's a big equalizer. We think we do. We got nothing. It's in Jesus by faith alone. It's just that's where it's at. We can't forget that. Every day we need to be reminded that. I love what N.T. Wright said. Let me, um, let me just close with this. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians of today, he said this, the coming together of all believers in a united worshiping family is proof that God's kingdom is taking root. We're, we're eating at the same table and we're all invited to be part of the family through faith. A spirit-filled community of Jesus walking by the spirit into a new second nature life, embodying Christ forming his character in us, living spiritually fruitful lives. We are a multi-ethnic covenant family of Jesus. The the promise of Abraham is indeed fulfilled as Christ's followers love God and love each other. You see, Abraham, that's way back in the Old Testament. If you've never heard his name, he was a pretty big, big important person in Scripture. And there was a promise that God gave him through you all nations will be blessed, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it took a while for that to be fulfilled, but in Christ, it was fulfilled. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what Jesus came to give us. And so we must come back to that ground zero every time. I want to pray here in a minute, but if, you, if, you, if you're a person who's never said yes to the Jesus team, you've never made that that, that conversion like Paul did in, in, on his way to Damascus. If you've never made that decision, we would love to celebrate that decision with you. It's so important to say yes to Jesus. And you can do that today. You can let us know. Let me know if you're here in person or in our connections booth. If you're online, let your, your uh, online chat folks know. We would love to pray with you and celebrate you saying yes to Jesus. But for the rest of us, if we, if we are followers of Christ in here, we need to remember that we are people of grace, that we have nothing to boast about but in Jesus. And so I would encourage you to be that kind of person this week. Be a person who extends grace because we have been given so much grace. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness, and your grace. Oh, Lord, the scandal of grace is is something that we, we forget, but it's so powerful. Father, help us to be people of grace. And, Lord, that that we would recognize every tribe, tongue, and nation, we are one in Christ, a beautiful multi-ethnic family of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to live that today, this week. Father, may we extend your love to everyone around us, and may we be people of grace because of all the grace you've given to us. Father, help us to boast only in you, in nothing else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.